What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarland. And uh, Dwayne, it's been a little bit of a, a weird week. I mean, you and I did one show together last week, and then you got to reunite with an old pal in Ian Harditz. As we went through all the free agency moves, you guys went through pretty much all the free agency moves. Uh, obviously, first off, it's great to see Ian come over and join our group here. I've loved his work. I know you two have been friends for uh, a number of years. And uh, I got to say, it must have been fun getting back together with your old pal and doing a show again last week. Yeah, for sure. Um, we did one last Wednesday, and then we recorded another one yesterday that, yesterday that dropped today. Pretty much focused on free agency. But yeah, it's like uh, kind of like riding a bike. I, I, I mean... I can't remember how many podcasts Ian and I recorded together over at PFF a lot. So, uh, yeah, some things are just natural, but certainly I'm super, super excited to have him back. I'm just excited about the whole team that we have here, you know, with you, with Ian, with Pete, with Kendall. So, uh, I think we're just building a powerhouse, man. Like, I think it's just going to be hard to compete with fantasy life. Absolutely. No, it's like, you know, they've gone out, uh, you know, Elliot, uh, Jordan, everybody's gone out and they've, they've kind of through free agency of their own, kind of put together a really good squad. Uh, I'm glad to be part of this group. It's been a lot of fun in the uh, the time that I've been here and just excited to see how this thing continues to grow and, and where it's going to go from here on out. Um, there is still more free agency news. We will talk about some of the most recent moves that have been made. There have been some things that have happened in the last 24 hours or so, so we'll touch on that. But the big part of today's show uh, we have our Fantasy Free Agency Awards. Uh, we came up with some sort of kind of goofy categories to try and figure out who were the best and worst teams and some of the best and worst moves that we have seen in the last week or so. Uh, and so we'll kind of go through that a little bit later on in the show. But let's start with some of the more recent moves that have happened because the Texans, Dwayne, after sort of standing pat over the first couple days of free agency have done a flurry of things in the last 24 hours the first thing is they do bring in Devin Singletary formerly of the Buffalo Bills he joins Damian Pierce in that backfield Dalton Schultz uh, who was one of the top tight end targets out there signs a one-year deal of course earlier they went out and they added Robert Woods and Noah Brown those two things we sort of you know kind of nodded at and, and moved on with our lives but uh big picture uh, the Texans obviously have a lot of holes. They still have a lot of things they have to do to get better and get competitive. But with Singletary and Schultz, what was your first takeaway about those? Yeah, with Singletary, it's kind of, it's interesting, right? Because we have Damian Pierce there as well, who was a bit of a fantasy revelation in the first half of the 2022 season. So now that casts doubt on what his outlook is going to be. Um, they didn't really use Damian Pierce that much. They started to a couple of times last year in the passing game. Um, when you look at Devin Singletary, like the major hole in his game is work in the passing game. So depending on what they really think about Damian Pierce, it seems kind of duplicative, if you will. Like, okay, are they going to both share early down work and they still want to find someone to handle passing downs? Or does this mean that we will see more of Damian Pierce on the field when they need to throw the football? Because it is something we know that he did really well when he was at Florida. So we've seen him do it in college. That could potentially be a positive thing. But overall, like you're going to have a backfield that's going to be, you know, pretty much guaranteed to be some sort of split at this point and an offense that we're going to have a lot of questions about. So I think that that's interesting. The Dalton Schultz thing, you know, was really interesting as well because, you know, Schultz really decided to kind of, you know, put a chip on himself. And that's great when players do that. Um, reportedly turned down like a three year, $36 million deal at some point along the way. 
and then had to settle for a $9 million contract um, that includes a lot of incentives. Like the base is closer to like six or 7 million. Not saying the guy's hurting for money. Like that's still, you know, like to us, like, wow, I'd love to make six, $7 million a year. <laughs> That'd be really great. But Schultz, you know, from a fantasy perspective, like last year when he was healthy, like he was really good. Um, the MCL was a problem and it started early in the season. I believe it was week one when he suffered the MCL injury, he was limited. Then he missed a little time. Then he came, tried to force his way back into the lineup after missing a game or two and was still limited, you know, in his route participation. Finally, towards the end of the year, they opened everything up. You could tell he was healthy. He had, I want to say three top, um, you know, six finishes or three top three finishes down the stretch over the last six or seven games. So really became more of what people thought they were getting when they drafted him in the sixth round of last season. Um, and he did take step forward, uh, a step forward in a lot of different categories that we look at, like targets per route run, yards per route run, a lot of different things last season. Um, so I think there's a chance he's the number one option for the Texans. I think the question, though, Marcus, is like whatever rookie quarterback that they draft, like what's their learning curve like? You know, um, because ultimately without a good quarterback, it's really tough to score a lot of fantasy points. Now, you can still be viable, you know, without it. You don't have to have an elite quarterback. You just need at least, you know, a, you know, below average is even OK. But we've seen some rookies have really terrible first seasons. So I think a lot of this will hinge on who do the Texans end up with at quarterback at pick two and how well do they play out of the gate? But they, they've added a lot of names. Nothing that like jumps out at you that this is just wow. Look at this ad. It's kind of a lot of, uh, I don't want to call it quite meh. You know, it's slightly above meh, I would guess. <laughs> but it's not super exciting. What are your thoughts? No, I mean, I thought that too. And I, I look at, I'm looking at the roster right now. And I, I don't see any real, I won't say any real challenge. I mean, there are guys who are going to get targets, right? Nico Collins, I think, has some interest. He could be there. Robert Woods, we know, is a veteran presence that, that you can sort of lean on, even though he's not the player that he once was uh, before the injuries. So I do think Dalton Schultz walks in there, and at least as of this moment before the draft, uh, looks like the guy that they're going to lean on to catch the football quite a bit. So in that regard, it's very, very positive, especially at a position where we're still consistently looking for some, some guys who can produce on a regular basis. So I think Schultz in that regard is in a pretty good spot there in Houston. The quarterback situation is, I think, one that we're going to sort of look at. You know, who knows who they're going to draft? Um, I, I'm hoping that it does not end up being a Davis Mills case Keenum sort of you... competition because that feels uh, unsatisfying in a lot of ways. Um, the thing about Devin Singletary that sort of worries me, if they do decide that they want to use Damian Pierce as the guy who catches the football more out of the backfield, then I don't really know where that leaves Singletary, at least for fantasy purposes. If he's not going to catch the football, which we know he didn't do a ton of in Buffalo, um, I don't see him as being this short yardage goal line banger that gives him the touchdown upside that we sort of want. If he does end up not getting that pass catching role, it just feels like he's going to sort of be hanging out there, you know, running between the 20s, maybe giving you, you know, again, if he gets you seven, 800 yards like he has the past couple of years in Buffalo, I think that's OK for the Texans. It does nothing for us if we're looking at, you know, three to five touchdowns total for Devin Singletary. So I really kind of wanted better for him. Um, I mean, in my, in my heart of hearts, I had hoped that you would see Miles Sanders go to Miami, maybe Singletary go to Carolina. Both those guys find places to prosper. It didn't really work out that way. So for me now, Dwayne, Devin Singletary is a guy that, you know, if I'm drafting him at all, uh, it really is very late in drafts. I just 
don't see a big path forward for him having big fantasy production this year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, we've got an offense that could really struggle and they're going to share the ball. That's what I was about to ask you. But what does this do to you for Damian Pierce? Like, I kind of feel similar about Pierce. Like, I'm, I would take him over Singletary. But, I mean, it's anybody's guess which one of these guys is really going to lead the backfield right now. I would put my chip on Pierce. I think he looked a lot better yeah. than what we've seen from Singletary, who hasn't been bad. We talked about him whenever we did our rundown, um, you know, before free agency. And folks can check it out over on Fantasy Life. You know, we cover each of the positions, running back, wide receiver, tight end. We also do the quarterbacks. But it's all based on historical data, tying it back to fantasy finishes. And Devin Singletary actually had some surprising things about him. He really gets you know, kind of uh, crapped on for lack of a better term in the fantasy community. Um, but he's actually, there's some things that he's done that have been, you know, really nice compared to the league average, but Pierce has still been the better back. So I would still want to put the chip on Pierce, but I, I'm not that excited about him either now. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I feel like, like you said earlier, it, it's very duplicative, right? These guys are similar in so many ways and it, it just sort of feels like, you get unsatisfying seasons out of both of them, right? Like what happens if they both run for about 750 yards? They both give you, again, three to five touchdowns. Um, it, it's one of those things. I, I know, you know the phrase has sort of become tired, right? Like if you have two running backs, you have none. But in this case, it sort of feels like for fantasy, at least, the Texans may have two running backs. And for us, we're, we're going to essentially have none because I don't think either guy is going to be productive enough that we're going to feel confident starting them on a, on a week to week basis. It just, it feels really, really unsatisfying. Um, speaking of sort of unsatisfying Damian Harris, who I think is a good player, but who last year left a lot to be desired now goes from new England to Buffalo. And I guess ostensibly taking the place of Devin Singletary, uh, who's gone now. What last week, two weeks ago, Dwayne, we were talking about James cook and this idea that maybe the Bills were ready to hand him a little bit more responsibility in that backfield. Does that idea change now that Damian Harris is in with the Bills? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think Damian Harris is a really good early down back. Um, we talked about him as well earlier this offseason. Yeah, last year he played hurt. I mean, he's been hurt pretty much every year. But the two years before last, he had PFF rushing grades of 86.9 and 85.8. Those are really good grades. Um, he's a guy that will also be able to punch it in more often than what Singletary did whenever he was getting those carries inside the five. So I think with Harris, there's like sneaky upside here because yeah, he's not going to rush for 1500 yards. Like we don't expect that. This should still be a pass heavy team. Um, it's all going to still operate through Josh Allen. Josh Allen is going to still, still, he will still touchdowns and things like that. But in a high quality offense, you could see someone like Damian Harris score 10 rushing touchdowns. 12 rushing touchdowns. He could be the Jamal Williams, right, of this year's fantasy uh, landscape. It's that kind of deal. You look up and you're like, I had 750 yards. Whoa, 14 touchdowns. Like, that's the kind of thing that Damian Harris could do. And that's really his forte. That's what he's really good at. Like, he's a between-the-tackles banger, um, gets a lot of yards after contact, doesn't go down typically with first contacts, always fighting for extra yards, things like that. And that's part of what can lead to his injury profile. Um, you know, he takes a lot of big hits. Um, a lot of additional hits after the first tackler gets to the ball. So that's something that obviously will still be a concern. But for the games he's healthy, I think Harris will pretty much be a threat to score a touchdown every week he's out there. And I think that's where he keeps his value afloat. I, you, know, you talk about uh, Jamal Williams, what he did last year. I mean, what, we're a couple years removed from Harris having that 15 rushing touchdown season. Uh, another name that sort of came to mind recently was James Conner a couple years ago in Arizona, where... 
on, you know, he had the 15, the 18 overall touchdowns, 15 on the ground. You take those away, like the yardage didn't really do much for you, but he was worth starting because chances were good he was going to find the end zone on any given week. And I think that could be where Harris still has some value. And I know we say this every year, right? But at some point, you feel like the Bills aren't going to want to keep smashing Josh Allen into. I know he's a big, strong guy, but at some point you have a major investment in him, and maybe you don't want to keep smashing him into the middle of the line and goal line situations over and over again. So maybe that's part of what Harris is there for, is to sort of take some of that pressure off. Uh, the good news is the draft price is not going to be high, so uh, the reward is potentially uh, worth the risk, whatever it may be, uh, for drafting Damian Harris. Down in Dallas. We know the Cowboys are moving on from Ezekiel Elliott. We talked about that, and everybody's super excited about Tony Pollard. In fact, I saw his ADP shot up about 12 spots in the last week or so. Um, Not a surprise at all after the Ezekiel Elliott move. But the Cowboys look like they are finding at least a temporary replacement. Ronald Jones, who has uh, bounced around the league, gets to go back home to the state of Texas. Uh, His... I don't know that the Texas Tesla nickname ever caught on outside of, like, the USC campus. Um, but he's back home in Texas. I mean, this is just a depth ad, right, Dwayne? This it, this doesn't feel like anything we should really be worried about if we're on the Tony Pollard train. No, no, but he's the right kind of back to be a compliment to Pollard, right? Um, Ronald Jones, we know he's no threat to steal any of the receiving down work, you know, from Tony Pollard, but... He is someone that if you want to hand it to him between the pack, the tackles, like he can do some tough inside running, um, doesn't have the best vision or anything, but like he gets up to speed pretty quickly and he'll ram into a linebacker. Like he can come out and do that. And every once in a while he does make that next cut at the next level, um, gets out over in front of his skis a lot when you watch him, like when he goes to make the next cut, but when he does, he does have some legit speed. The biggest challenge for Ronald Jones is the last time we saw him in a full season, 2021, when he got significant work, we really saw a lot of his data points start to deteriorate. So he had kind of been one of these guys we could count on for explosive runs of 10 plus yards or more. That really fell off in 2021. He was well below the league average. He only had 8% of those league average. So that's right at 10 and a half percent. And then if you look at last year, he just wasn't able to get on the field, Marcus. And that was with Clyde Edwards-Alaire getting hurt. Um, that was with Jarek McKinnon really needing to serve more as the passing down back back and Isaiah Pacheco, a seventh rounder really came in and just stole the show and made Ronald Jones irrelevant for the chiefs. So how much of that is Pacheco's really something good versus Ronald Jones? Isn't very good. It's probably somewhere in between. So yeah, I think it's mostly a, a depth play. The Cowboys still could draft another running back, you know, in the draft, which could make some, make this something where Jones is really more like third or fourth on the depth chart. Um, as of us recording, we haven't heard the, you know, the details on the contract. So that would be nice. Like if we knew what they are, my guess is they're not very much seeing how much like the Eagles got Rashad Penny for hopefully the Cowboys didn't give Ronald Jones more than like, you know, $17. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what the contract details are, but most likely depth, but I will say if stylistically he's the right kind of compliment you would want to add to go along with Pollard. He's only 25. He'll be 26 yeah, just young. before the season starts. It feels like we've been talking about Ronald Jones forever. Um, but age-wise, he's not really that old, but you're right. He's, you know, he's definitely not going to be a guy that you expect to take a lot of frontline work. If, if he is getting a lot of touches, a lot of carries, something has probably gone wrong for the Dallas Cowboys uh, in 2023. 
Uh, plenty of news about free agency, plenty of uh, analysis about free agency for a comprehensive look at that. You can check out Ian Hardis's top 22 free agent takeaways over at fantasylife.com. I know Ian has been chomping at the bit to get over here and do a whole lot of stuff. So uh, please go read his stuff. Go listen to the pods he's done. Uh, we will all be grateful and uh, it'll make Ian feel like, uh, you know, not that he doesn't feel like his work is worthwhile, but, you know, he's, he's excited about doing stuff. Help him out. Uh, read and listen to what he's doing over here at Fantasy Life. All right. Let's do some awards. Uh, the Oscars, not that far in our rearview mirror. We got our own set of awards here, the Fantasy Free Agency Awards. Our category is not quite the same. We're not going to have Best Picture or long-form documentary or anything like that. Uh, we've got a handful of you know, sort of different, sort of tongue-in-cheek ones. Um, and then... We'll go through the categories, we'll go through the nominees, and then uh, Dwayne and I will pick our winners, the guys, the teams that we think uh, are most deserving of these awards. So let's start with the most different offense, the offense that's going to look significantly changed from where it was last year. We've got the Panthers, uh, who get the number one pick, which they'll probably spend on a QB. Uh, they add Miles Sanders, Adam Thielen, Hayden Hurst, Andy Dalton. They lose DJ Moore. Uh, they're the Houston Texans, who we talked about uh, at the top of the show. They go out and add Devin Singletary and Dalton Schultz, among others. Then there's the Saints, who add Derek Carr, Jamal Williams, and they hold on to Michael Thomas. They re-sign him uh, for another year. So between the Panthers, the Texans, and the Saints, uh, who do you think has the most different offense this year? I'm going to say it's the Panthers, but it's really close between them and the Texans. Like, they're almost identical. They're both going to have new quarterbacks, right? They both traded away their number one wide receiver. The Texans got rid of Brandon Cooks. The you know, Panthers got rid of DJ Moore. They both signed a veteran receiver that we're probably not excited about, Adam Thielen, and then Robert Woods to the Texans. Uh, they both signed kind of, you know, not explosive tight ends, but guys that can work the middle of the field. Hayden Hurst and Dalton Schultz. It's kind of eerie. Like is the same GM like running these two teams? Like it's almost, you know, exact matches, especially once Miles Sanders, you know, over the last week and then Devin Singletary going to the Texans. But I, I will say that it's the Panthers and it's because I just, DJ Moore, I think is a little bit bigger of a loss than Brandon Cooks, even though Brandon Cooks has been like had a really solid career. I think DJ Moore is a little bit more of a loss. I also like Miles Sanders a little bit more than Devin Singletary, and I think he's got a better shot because of the battle we just talked about with the Texans of really potentially taking an every down roll. Like, it's not something we've seen him do recently in the passing game. So I would give it to the Panthers. But to even be included here, my criteria was, you know, because there's been so many changes, you had to have a quarterback change coming, right? That had to be part of what was going to happen with your team. So that's how we narrowed it down to three. But I think I would go with the Panthers, but very close with second place to the Texans. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the Panthers. I think all those things you mentioned about Sanders, about losing DJ Moore, I also think that, at least in theory, the Panthers are going to get themselves a better quarterback prospect uh, because they get to sit at the number one spot. So they get to pick and choose who they want, uh, you know, see what the Texans decide to do. But I, I like the Panthers slightly more than the Texans. I think the Saints are kind of a distant third for me because I, I feel like you know, adding Jamal Williams is a, an interesting piece there, and I'm curious to see what he does with that offense. Um, you know, Derek Carr may be a slight upgrade over Andy Dalton, but I don't know that it's significant. And I think with Michael Thomas coming back, it's nice in theory. I just want to see yeah. what Michael Thomas has left after, you know, it's, it's been a while since we have seen him play at a high level, and I'm curious to see what he's got left. So I think it, it was definitely between the Panthers and Texans for me. The Panthers edged them out, and the Saints uh, kind of coming in a, a distant third right there. Yeah, I think you're right. Like the Saints are a distant third, but Carr 
you know, the big factor is going to be, does that allow the Saints to actually want to throw the ball more? Even though, like, you know, statistically, it doesn't look like Carr is much of an upgrade over Dalton. I think that this is something where the Saints could be more trusting, right, of their quarterback. Maybe that just lets them open up the playbook a little bit more because they were very conservative last year with Andy Dalton, basically just trying not to lose. So I think that's where the potential big gains could come from. But I agree. I think it really does come down to the other two teams that we talked about being, you know, first and second and then a distant third for the Saints. You know, we, we talked about, you know, the NFC South being wide open, right? And Derek Carr shows up in New Orleans and it's like, well, maybe the Saints are sort of the favorite. Now the Panthers have sort of made some moves. They're going to get a quarterback. Uh, you know, I know there's still a long way before the season starts. Do you have sort of a early favorite in that division right now? Yeah, I think right now it would be the Saints. Um, but, you know, you're not super excited about it. You're also seeing, you know, Daniel Jeremiah's latest mock came out today and Will Levis is falling down draft boards. He made it all the way to the Bucks in his latest wow. mock draft. So the Bucks could suddenly, you know, find <laughs> themselves in a spot where they can take a quarterback in the middle of the first round or find one falling maybe towards 10 or 11 and they make a move up. They, they could make a move from there to get up and get a quarterback. So they've kind of continued making all their other moves like they're going to have a quarterback. So like, I, I'm not quite sure what the blueprint is there for the Bucks but they could quickly get back in the conversation if they were able to upgrade a quarterback, because we certainly don't have confidence in Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask. Yeah, no, certainly we don't. I, I you know, appreciate Baker Mayfield saying, Hey, I'm not trying to be Tom Brady. Uh, I think we all sort of assumed that. I know oh, LaMarca picked the Falcons, I believe today in our newsletter at plus mm -hmm. 400. So like, he's usually pretty sharp and I agree. Like you and I, when we first talked about them, we talked about the Falcons. When we right. came out, we talked about the, the, the odds for this division. Um, it was the Falcons. I think since, though, like with the Taylor Heineke signing, we're kind of like, well, we were really kind of hoping for a little more there, Arthur Smith, but okay. Yeah, the, the Falcons are nominated for an award. We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> That's going to be, I think, very yeah. entertaining when we get there. Uh, next award, though, the most impactful trade for fantasy in 2023. We've got four candidates in this category, the Bears, who do make the trade, they get DJ Moore. They get two first-round picks, two seconds. In an exchange, they give up the number one pick in this year's draft. The Cowboys, who just went out and got Brandon Cooks in a trade from the Houston Texans. The Giants, who surprisingly, at least to me, acquired Darren Waller from the Raiders. More of a surprise that the Raiders traded Waller away, not that the Giants went to get him. And then the Jets, who we think... Uh, are going to make a trade for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, as of this moment, the two sides have not come to any agreement, but Rodgers has proclaimed his desire to play for the New York Jets. So the Bears, the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Jets, which one of these trades or supposed uh, alleged trades <laughs> is going to be the most impactful for fantasy this year? Well, I think if Aaron Rodgers, if that trade goes down, it's it's that one yeah. because I, that just locks Garrett Wilson into high, you know, into wide receiver one status, and you have to draft him as a wide receiver one right now. But let's say that that doesn't happen. I would go with DJ Moore, um, just because Justin Fields just has not had targets around him, and so we want to see this opportunity for this dual threat kind of freak of nature a guy that can run for a thousand yards. And if all of a sudden he could throw for 4,000, right. Instead of it being more like, well, we hope he throws for 3,200. Like that's a big difference. And that would put him kind of into that conversation where we were last year with, 
wow, okay, like we've got an upgrade here in weaponry. Might he make a push to be the QB1 overall in fantasy? And he's going after the Josh Allens. He's going after Jalen Hurts. Now, people are not sitting on him. They're not letting him slide around seven and six like Jalen Hurts was last year. So people have gotten sharper, but you can still get him after those others. So I think that makes the DJ Moore trade, you know, immediately Justin Fields by far has the best receiver that he's ever worked with. And I would just like to see, you know, I would like to see him get to take a step forward in the passing department. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree there. I think you know, Rodgers, assuming that it gets done, is going to be the one that changes the most things. But for now, uh, the Bears getting DJ Moore is a big deal, plus the draft picks around that, too, because that gives them an opportunity if they decide they want to add more help, right? There's there's chatter that maybe they go out and they draft a Jackson Smith and Jigba at the number nine pick. So then suddenly you've got more and you've got JSN working with Justin Fields. Um, that's a really interesting combination right there. Yeah, they, they have the opportunity. They had you know plenty of cap space. Now they've got draft capital. So getting more is one part of it, but then what else they potentially could do on top of that, I think goes a long way. So uh, the, the Bears, I think, are in a really, really good spot. But even, you know, all that being said, if the Jets actually land Aaron Rodgers, it's the Jets. Yeah. yeah. Waller's an interesting one too, just because Daniel Jones... We know he can run, and we, to be fair to him, we haven't really seen him surrounded with good targets before. And Waller, as long as he's healthy, he doesn't have a lot of competition. So potentially that helps Daniel Jones be a better fantasy asset. Plus, Darren Waller doesn't have to deal with Devontae Adams anymore. So it wasn't a super easy pick. I, I do think it is DJ Moore, you know, if Aaron Rodgers, if the Aaron Rodgers move doesn't happen. But the Waller one, you know, it was pretty close for me. Yeah, the Wall, I, I, I like that move for the Giants because they've obviously gone all in on Daniel Jones, right? They, they sign him to the new deal. They, they tag Saquon Barkley. So they are in on trying to compete in what is a very difficult division, knowing they've got to deal with the Cowboys twice a year, the Eagles twice a year. Uh, you know, curious to see what Washington may be doing this offseason. Uh, but the Giants have, have decided they're going to make a run. And so adding a guy like Darren Waller reinforces that commitment to their quarterback and trying to help him out, trying to get some weapons. So I don't, I think it was a very good move for them. I still sort of scratch my head uh, at exactly what the Raiders were, were looking at, which gets us to what is my favorite category uh, in our whole list. And I have to see if I can channel my, uh, my perfect Billy Madison for this. <clears throat> I see your lips moving, but I can't make out the words. I'm deaf. Uh, these are the, these that was the, really good. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, these are the teams that made moves that we just really don't completely understand for uh, a number of reasons. So let's, uh, let's go through the three nominees here. The Falcons, they acquired Jonu Smith. They signed Taylor Heineke and Mac Hollins, and they keep Chris Lindstrom, the guard Christian Lindstrom, and tackle Caleb McGarry. The Patriots... They go out and they add Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Gesicki, and James Robinson. They lose Jacoby Myers, Jonu Smith, and Damian Harris. And then they're the Raiders. They go, they sign Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Myers. They lose Derek Carr, and they lose Darren Waller. There's a lot of stiff competition in this category, <laughs> Dwayne. So for you, which team had the or has, is having, to this point, the most head-scratching offseason? I think it's the Patriots. But I mean, they are all very strong candidates. Like I, when I look at the Patriots, all these teams, when I look at them, I, it's like you said, I'm just like, what are we doing? Where are we going? How does this make the team better? Like Juju and Jacoby Myers, you're trading those two out. Like I'd rather have Jacoby. Mike Gusecki and Jonu Smith. Great. I, give me Gusecki, I guess. But where's Gusecki going to play? Right. If Juju's going to play in the slot, 
and you're still going to have Hunter Henry, how are you getting Mike Gusecki on the field? And then James Robinson, like, I mean, I know it was coming off of injury, but he looked pretty washed last yeah. year. Um, so uh, Damian Harris is better than him. And so I don't, I, I really am kind of clueless as to what the Patriots are doing. And then the Raiders is kind of like Josh McDaniels, like just wants to go get all the guys he used to play with. Like I, right. Jacoby Myers over Darren Waller. Uh, give me Darren Waller. Um, Jimmy G versus Derek Carr, slightly lean to Derek Carr, but that one's close, but it feels, you know, at least I know Derek Carr can play a full season. You know, Jimmy G <laughs> hasn't. So I just, I don't get it. I'm going to give it to the Patriots though, because I just feel like, you know, the more I sit here, sit back and watch all that credit we gave to Belichick, you know, and those guys over the years, it, it does show you that there's so many components that come together to make, to make coaches and make players look good. Like Brady and Belichick together was one thing. Those two apart is really something different. Now Brady went on to get another ring. Um, but Belichick not looking so great, not, not doubting his X's and O's and his ability in that department, but him, him having his fingers on, on the blueprints of the players and working with the GM, like to me, he, there's certain positions at least, and it's mostly on offense where they seem to just continue to struggle. I think that's been the thing that we've all seen as the, maybe the one big glaring weakness with Belichick. It's been sort of the player evaluation at, on the offensive side. I know people have pointed out how the Patriots have struggled to draft wide receivers throughout Belichick's tenure. And I, I think we even saw some of it sort of near the end of Brady's time there that they were able to be successful and win. But a lot of that was, you know, 12 kind of carrying this team at times and, and being just good enough defensively to make it happen. But, but offensively, there were a lot of holes there. And I think some of it comes back to Belichick and, and the front office when it came to, to, came to scouting offensive skill position players. Um, I'm going to lean toward the Falcons here just because it's, it's one, getting John U. Smith, right? And, and yeah. we we weren't the only podcast. I think every fantasy football podcast in existence lamented the usage of Kyle Pitts and hoped for better things this season. And then they go out and they add John U. Smith, who is not by any stretch of the imagination, a blocking tight end. Um, they immediately said they were out on Lamar Jackson and they go and they get Taylor Heineke to, I guess, be in a quarterback battle. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Um, you know, look, keeping Lindstrom, keeping McGarry, those were arguably your two best offensive linemen last year. So that sort of made sense. But here it is. You've got this offense with two really intriguing weapons in Kyle Pitts and Drake London, and you don't seem to be doing anything to actually feature them in this offense. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious about what the Raiders are doing because you, you talk about uh, Gasicki and Juju both kind of being slot guys. The Raiders now have Jacoby Myers and Hunter Renfro, who are basically both slot guys. That's head scratching. Uh, I'm I just I'm still sort of trying to figure out the Patriots letting Myers walk to bring in Juju. All three of these teams, um, I don't know, have me sort of turned around a little bit. But I'm going to go with the Falcons. Maybe it's just my Arthur Smith bitterness seeping <laughs> through. But but that's 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 why I'm giving them the award for me. Um. All right. So I get to still the quarterbacks, right? Uh, you're going to start who? At quarterback, that's the name of the category. Uh, so we got the Bucks, who they just bring in Baker Mayfield. They're likely going to put him in a, com uh, a competition with Kyle Trask. The Falcons we just talked about, it's going to be Taylor Heineke and Desmond Ritter, at least for now. And the Commanders, who go with Jacoby Brissett and Sam Howell in a competition. And let me just 
throughout the specter of the fact that Lamar Jackson technically is still out there. Teams can negotiate <laughs> with him and try to figure out what he might want. But these are the teams that seem to be, for the moment, content with their quarterback situations. Uh, who has the most bizarre, frustrating, you pick the adjective, uh, quarterback competition on tap? Uh, I think for me, it's the Baker versus Trask for the Bucks, And there's a couple of factors. One, you're stepping down from Brady, who obviously didn't have the best year last year. You know, it was a real struggle, but it's still going to be a step down. Um, and then the other part of it is we've got Mike Evans. We've got Chris Godwin. Everybody's hoping Rashad White is this target magnet. Now, the Falcons, you've got Kyle Pitts and you've got Drake London. So you've also got other assets there. Each of these teams actually has a nice receiving squad. You know, Commanders is going to affect you know, Terry McLaurin, but I feel like Brissett at least showed us Marcus, like he could, he, you know, he was on his way to supporting the best season ever from Amari Cooper. And I think so if, you know, he and Terry McLaurin, they can probably find their groove. Uh, but like the Bucks is the weirdest one. The other thing for the commanders, at least, you know, it's like, well, we drafted Howell last year. So if he wins out, let's just see what we have. Even though he's a fifth round pick, you know, they talk about how much they love him and you just like, well, you waited till the fifth round, right? You really <laughs> loved him so much that you draft him in the fifth round of a draft. Um, so I think it's the bucks though. I just feel like the drop from Brady and what we've seen with Baker, like Baker's just been an absolute anvil around the neck, right? Of whatever receiver he's throwing the ball to over recent seasons. So that's really problematic. Honestly, you're kind of hoping Kyle Trask wins the job just so we can maybe have some hope that, you know, we could be surprised by something. I think we kind of know what Baker is at this point. Yeah, I think so. I, I would say of these three, the commanders is the one I'm actually mildly interested in just just because what we saw out of Jacoby Brissett last year I mean we know who he is but he was the better of the two Browns quarterbacks yeah. last season so at least that has a little bit of intrigue there um I'm tempted to make the Falcons my version of everything everywhere all at once and just give them all the awards here because uh you know yeah, Desmond Ritter, you know, we're not completely sure what he is. We saw him late last year after they decided to to kind of move on from Marcus Mariota a little bit. You know, Heineke at least helped us keep uh, Terry McLaurin afloat. I mean, I, I love the fact that he was selling those T-shirts that just said, you know, F it, Terry's down there somewhere. So maybe it's not the Falcons. So, so maybe now, as I'm talking myself through this out loud, maybe it really is the Buccaneers just because – Baker had that one moment, what, on Thursday night last year when the Rams came from behind and shocked the Raiders. After that, it was pretty awful watching Baker. And as much as the Bucks keep trying to tell us that they like Kyle Trask and they want to give him every opportunity to be the starter, their actions don't seem to signal that. So um, maybe it is them. And especially, as you mentioned, the, the juxtaposition of replacing the greatest quarterback of all time with a battle between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Uh, that's about as big a step down, I think, as you can imagine. So um, after all that preamble, I think I'm going to come around and, and side with you and go with the, the Buccaneers on this one. Ugh, gross. Um, next category, where's the beef? And this is uh, about teams adding help uh, along the offensive line, blockers, fullbacks, what have you. The Broncos going out and doing it big. They signed Ben Powers. They get Mike McGlinchey from the 49ers. Uh, they signed a fullback, Michael Burton, and uh, a blocking tight end in Chris Manhurts. So definitely trying to help out Russell Wilson a lot. The Bengals go out and get Orlando Brown, who, Dwayne, I know Orlando Brown was for a long time the top uh, free agent on Greg Rosenthal's top 101 list. 
uh, after some of the other guys signed early. Orlando Brown was like high up that list one or two for a while and just kind of sat there. And I know Greg was very surprised about it. I think a lot of people were. But he finds a home in Cincinnati. So between the Broncos and the Bengals, uh, who did the best to beef up their offensive line? Yeah, I think this one's pretty was pretty easy. It's the Broncos, and I think this is just giving you a little bit of a of a you know it's kind of a peek behind the curtain, right, into what Sean Payton is thinking and what kind of offense he's going to want to run. I think we're going to see uh, a team that wants to be balanced. Um, I think they're going to try to run the ball as much as they can. That could be really big uh, for Samaj P. Ryan if Javonta Williams misses any time. If Javonta Williams manages to make it back at some point in the season and is, say, 90% of what he was, it's going to be really big for him as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not just the guard and the tackle. You see him go get another fullback and, you know, get the blocking tight end, which, you know, is there a better blocking tight end name than man hurts right. like, it just seems like you know he should be like if there was ever a name made for a blocking tight end it's like man hurts it's like i'm a man i'm gonna hurt you in the blocking right. game but um yeah I, I think we're just getting some insight into what you know sean payton's gonna want to do and this also kind of maybe goes along with the idea that he's not really a big fan of russ um we heard that from the combine from you know matthew barry in the article that he did um, over at Roto World. So I think there's a chance that he wants to mitigate, right? Russell Wilson and really kind of put him back in the old offense that Russell, and let's face it, Russell Wilson was good in the old offense, mm -hmm. you know, that he was in in Seattle for many years, which was really, hey, let's not throw the ball that much. But when we throw it, we're going to go downfield. We're going to hit the big shots. Um, and we're going to let Russ really play to his strengths with, you know, the, the, the rainbow balls that look like punts that leave the screen. And then this is not making fun of him because they fall right in the basket. They worked so the well, receiver. right? Yeah. So I think that what we're seeing here is that Sean Payton has formulated like what his plan is going to be to try to, to a either get Russell Wilson back on track or B, if that doesn't work and they move on from him after the season, these are still high-end components, or at least the guard and the tackle are, that he can continue forward with with whatever quarterback comes after Russ. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's definitely the, the Broncos just because they are going out and making wholesale changes at trying to fix this thing, understanding how much they have invested uh, in Russell Wilson and trying to make this thing work as best as possible. And it does feel sort of like, you know, you hear actors who, you know, they've been great at acting for years and they decide they want to direct and then their first directing gig is an absolute bomb. And that kind of is what last year felt like for Russell Wilson. He's been a great actor for a while. Uh, then he kind of got a chance to direct a little bit and things didn't go so well. And so now they've decided, hey, maybe just go back to acting a little bit and we'll bring in uh, <laughs> we'll bring in a seasoned director to kind of put this thing together now. Uh, that's what Sean Payton is. Um, also, by the way, great names for blocking tight ends. Carlester Crumpler is also one. That oh, yeah. Mind. Yeah. Uh, Al Algie's older Algie's brother. brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Carlester Carlester yeah. Crumpler just seemed like a great football name to me for all those years. Uh, our last category here, addition by subtraction, which is pretty self-explanatory. So uh, three nominees, the Dallas Cowboys, who release Ezekiel Elliott, and they tag Tony Pollard. So uh, we're expecting full-time Tony in Dallas. The Tennessee Titans, who let go of Robert Woods and, in theory, opened the door for Trainlon Burks to take over a bigger role there. And the New England Patriots, who move on from Damian Harris. They signed James Robinson, and hopefully that makes it Ramondre Stevenson-Seasonson 
for the full year. So biggest addition by subtraction for you. Yeah, I think it's moving on from Zeke just yeah. because we know really there were forces upstairs beyond even just the coaching staff that were forcing the Cowboys play callers to utilize Zeke, <clears throat> Jerry Jones. And, you know, Jerry wants to, to sell those jerseys. Zeke, you know, uh, you know, sold a lot of jerseys for the Cowboys, you know, all off of, you know, the feed Zeke stuff. And now that's over. And so we're going to get to see Pollard out there, hopefully on the passing downs. And that I think is going to be absolutely huge. If I have to, had to go with a second place, it's really Damian Harris moving on because I do think Damian Harris uh, at this point in their careers is still much better than James Robinson. So I, I think this is a good thing ultimately for Ramondre. We still have to get through the draft here. Um, someone in the first round is going to take Bijan Robinson uh, and Daniel Jeremiah's latest, which came out today. He had the Patriots as being the team selecting Bijan and the fantasy masses all groaning as, you know, now Ramondre and Bijan would have to split a backfield. That would just be terrible. You know, yeah. that would like if, if, if Bijan goes to Dallas and he has to split with Pollard, like, no, that's not good. Right. Come on, like put this guy somewhere, put Bijan somewhere where he can just be the number one back immediately. That's what we all want. So fantasy gods, like, please give it to us. Um, I do like Burks. We've talked about him in the past, but Woods wasn't that much of a challenge to him anyway. Burks just needs to stay healthy. That's going to be the key for him. And they need to not, you know, we need to make sure they don't get rid of Ryan Tannehill, which has been a rumor that they could still make that move. If that happens, that would not be good for Traylon Burks uh, because it looks pretty rough as far as what the Titans might be able to do at quarterback unless they can make a move in the draft. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, what we saw from Malik Willis last year was not... <sighs> all that encouraging <laughs> so we we do look, as as much as ryan Tannehill is sort of mid at this point in his career he's definitely a better option for burks uh than malik willis or whatever else potentially the, the titans might do at quarterback so um yeah i think that one's just kind of a, a minor move i think i think it is the zeke one especially because we saw how good pollard was last year splitting time with zeke and we were all sort of hoping that whether it was in Dallas, whether it was somewhere else, he would get that opportunity to be uh, more of a front linebacker. And now that opportunity is here, at least for now. Uh, Ronald Jones is the only real competition there in Dallas. We don't expect that he's going to take a lot of those touches. So unless Jerry, you know, goes full Jarrah and drafts Bijan Robinson, um, it is a big deal for Tony Pollard. And like I said, he he jumped up about twelve spots in ADP after the Ezekiel Elliott move. So I think everybody is excited about what he can be. Um, any discount you were hoping to get for best ball drafts, that has long since passed. You should have done that uh, a month ago because <laughs> that's pretty much over now. Uh, but I also do like the potential for Ramondre as long as DJ's, uh, Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah's uh, prediction doesn't come true. Um, I did see that Bijan was taking a visit with the Eagles, which I know they went out and got Rashad Penny, which seems really cool. But Bijan in Philadelphia seems kind oh, of – I mean, you're, you're a Cowboys fan, so maybe not quite as fun for you, but for the rest of us, it seems kind of fun. Uh, it would be great for fantasy. Wow. Yeah. Like, Bijan behind, you know, in that offense with that offensive line, it would be crazy, you know. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, he's already going in the first round, you know, of fantasy drafts. Mm -hmm. You know, he goes usually late first, early second. Um, if he went to the Eagles, like – Wow, like is he a mid first at that point? Yeah. Like that would be one of the optimal, optimal, optimal landing spots for Bijan. I mean, I've seen, you know, a couple of days ago I checked and, and on underdog, he's the RB4. He's going what, right at, I think right after Austin Eckler and right before Saquon Barkley. He's wedged just in between the two of them. So 
uh, people already excited about Bijan Robinson. And man, if if that landing spot in the NFL draft turns out to be a place that that allows him to be uh, a workhorse back, it it really is to the moon. That's that's the most frothy I can remember for a rookie for a rookie running back in a really long time. Yeah. I'm trying to remember where Saquon was going that year. I want to say similar end of first early second and a lot of the drafts I was doing Zeke was a second rounder that crept into the end of the first round that season that he was a rookie. But I don't think we've had anything like that since like CMC's rookie year. He was more like a third rounder. Leonard Fournette was like a third or a fourth rounder his rookie year. I can't, I'm, I can't recall like not Najee got towards the, the early second, mm-hmm. you know, I can't, I don't think Najee snuck into the first. No. But like thinking he could be as high as art, like like pick six in drafts, like that's that's very frothy. Well, and I I think uh, Jordan asked about Monte Ball. I don't think yeah. Monte Ball. Uh, um, yeah, I think, but I think that one of the differences too, though, is like when you talk about Zeke and him sort of being second round. I feel like that was sort of the last bit of descent you had where people because you realize those people who are like well he hasn't played it down in the nfl how are you going to spend that draft pick on him um i feel like zeke was kind of the last one who had to battle that because by the time we got to saquon we had seen rookie running backs who performed really well and a guy like saquon was you know quote unquote generational talent it, it just seemed like a no-brainer to, to draft him that high and so i think with Bijan, that that caveat that concern is mostly gone i think people who do drafts especially people who do best ball drafts understand what the upside is so there isn't as much worry about taking one of these guys in the first round if you feel that the profile is there for him to be successful and Bijan absolutely fits that profile right now he has every down chops and very explosive he can do everything he can break tackles uh he can hit the long play he can catch the ball out of the backfield. You can incorporate him into your scheme. It doesn't just have to be an afterthought in the passing game. Now, Jalen Hurts' ability to run is going to limit some of that, obviously, as to how often he's going to get the ball in the passing game, but he's certainly capable. Um, so, yeah, he, he's definitely like the five-tool player. Oh, absolutely uh, going to be worth watching as we get a little bit closer to draft day. Of course, you can go to fantasylife.com. We got plenty of Great information that will help you, whether it's Dynasty, whether it's best ball drafts, uh, and getting you ready for the actual NFL draft coming up uh, in a little more than a month from now. So we'll have plenty more to talk about uh, as we get on to that. And as I always say, if you haven't already, go subscribe to the newsletter. Still hitting your inbox every single day. I make sure to scroll it at some point while I'm drinking my coffee or eating my breakfast in the morning uh, and sort of catching up on things that I may have missed uh, overnight the day before. Uh, you know, living on the West Coast, you wake up and it's like waking up in the middle of freeway traffic. You get on social media and everybody's been talking for a couple of hours and you have to search <laughs> and scroll to kind of figure out what the genesis of some of these conversations was. So uh, having that newsletter in my inbox, definitely a big, big help. Uh, in the meantime, this is a good place to sort of wrap it up for this edition of the Fantasy Live podcast. Hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully uh, you hang around and come back not only for our show, but some of the other shows. Uh, that are coming out here and uh, hoping to do some more stuff for you all throughout this off season. That'll do it for us. For Dwayne, I am Marcus. This has been the Fantasy Life Podcast. Enjoy the week, everybody. Talk to you again real soon.